When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. A couple of armchair GMs who have yet to be wrong with any of their Timberwolves takes. <laughs> right. It's Flagrant Howls with Phil Mackey and Kyle Tyke. And let's uh, let's give it up for the birthday boy here, fresh <laughs> off of a flight from Vegas. He hasn't slept in like three days. Kyle, how are you hanging in there after your uh, your Vegas Timberwolves trip? I uh, I got home ten minutes ago. Um, haven't slept since Wednesday. And the worst part, and we stayed. Dane Moore and I were there to cover the Timberwolves Lakers game, and we stayed at New York, New York. It's right next to T-Mobile, so it's a yeah. perfect little walking distance. But uh, probably just one of the older, kind of a little more rundown casinos. And I just smell. My wife noticed when she picked me up. Like I just smell like cigarettes yeah. and like old perfume or like cheap <laughs> perfume. So how do you explain smoke, the but, second one? Yeah, that's a tough one to. <laughs> it's just anywhere you go, it's just like they're pumping it in. I feel like they're pumping in cigarette smoke, even though. Everywhere I looked, there was like this morning, Dane and I had to get in a car at 4.30, and it was awesome. Just every slot machine, someone had a big coffee and a cigarette. And it's like, man, it's a good way to spend your Friday. So. Just trying to – man, I uh, I love pie. Vegas. And I, don't, I love it in three-day chunks. Don't need really yes, any more than exactly. that. Two nights, get in get in early on the first day, You know, leave whenever on the third day. But it is I – st- I still love me some, some Vegas. You know – they're going to get an NBA team. That was kind of one of the stories this week. LeBron made some comments. He was obviously in Las Vegas um, that he wants to own it. But they're going to get that. They'll probably get a baseball team maybe at some point. I think it's probably going to be the best sports city in the country. Like it really, Obviously, it's really hot there in the summer, but like the weather right now was awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was you could wear a sweatshirt at night. Um, and then just like if you're an athlete, anytime I can you know, take a stab at Packer fans or stuff, but like, Devonte Adams. Why would you want to live in Green Bay when you can live in Las Vegas? Yeah. Henderson is like kind of from my small limited interaction. Like Henderson is like a Scottsdale almost next to Vegas. You can go ten minutes away and have a nice suburb and do all that stuff. But then go to all these cool events. There's stuff going on every day. And then yeah, there's there's gambling. There's shows. There's all. I mean, the best restaurants are getting there. So this um, is actually just going to be an infomercial for Las Vegas here. Uh, Phil and Kyle here. Have you considered your travel plans? Your next trip to Vegas? I will. I will say. Uh, I was at. Uh, we'll get into this, but I was at the G League Ignite game yesterday afternoon, and my mom started texting me like crazy. I was like, I don't know if she knows my birthday is tomorrow, not on Thursday. And someone <laughs> apparently there was a stabbing on the strip. So don't put that in the infomercial. That happens. But yeah. So that was just. Some uh, a bunch of showgirls got stabbed by someone with a knife. So I am back. I did not get stabbed. I'm not dying before on my birthday. But um, no, Vegas is. I don't know if you've never been. There's just so much more to do than just the typical things you might think about in Vegas. Like you really could go there with kids, and a lot of the hotels are really redone themselves. So um, yeah, if we can get a Vegas sponsor, that would be that'd be great. I think uh, I think next summer. We're both going to go for 100%. summer league, and we yep. should get a group of Timberwolves fans together to to celebrate the first ever. I was going to say fifty win season. After watching them last night, I know. Let's get into it. I think I'm on sixty, and I know that it's the <laughs> it's the preseason, and they played basically the Lakers, who are not exactly the deepest team in the NBA. They played the the depth players for the Lakers without LeBron or Anthony Davis. Russell Westbrook is kind of a shell of himself, anyways. But let's let's dive into just some. You were there for the game. I was watching on TV, sipping on some red wine, swapping some texts and DMs yep. with uh, with you and all my Timberwolves friends. Uh, our, our guy Lord Kilby was was engaged last night watching the game too. 
So my first observation is that at least watching on TV, Anthony Edwards looks enormous. He looks like a house. He was listed at 225 last year. He looks like he's too, he looks like LeBron James in terms of physique now. He's bigger than Nas Reed. So you were there. I mean, what is it? What does he look like now? So uh, a little kind of behind the curtain. Um, this was the first time that we had locker room access since COVID because COVID kind of nuked all of that. So um, Dane Moore and I were the only kind of media people in attendance for this one. But so we get to go to shoot around in the morning and then at night after the game, you get to get into the locker room and stuff. And the, I only say that because you're in a locker room with all these professional athletes and we get to just go up and talk to them on and off the record but we talked to Ant for a little bit and he's she was sure he's massive he literally I've never been in a football locker room but he looks like what you would think a running back looks like he has yeah. he's he's not like super defined yet but he's kind of growing into that body he's kind of in the bulking phase but he he just manages the the weight so well and he's just thick and he came into the league pretty big but yeah I mean he's what six six or something he's probably one of the heavier guys on the team and that's not a bad thing he's just and I think he's starting to embrace that weight and feel comfortable with it because he's using it now on defense he's using it to bump guys off and get to his spot a little easier and I think just too you see it when he finishes at the rim it's just the durability thing like when he collides with these giant centers and shot blockers at the rim this season he's going to you know as they say absorb the contact more um it was. It was crazy. I saw him at, at shoot around in the morning. I was like, holy hell, that guy is just way, way bigger. I know everyone says they get stronger in the offseason, but that dude legitimately put on 12 to 15 pounds of real authentic muscle. He is a freight train. And yes, good way to put it. I think, you know, there's so many of these great combo guard star players in the league. I mean, John Morant has taken the league by storm, and there's, you know, a couple of years ago, Donovan Mitchell you know, had the, the great run, and the Jamal Murray's and there's all these like really good and John Morant's probably the best of those three guys I just mentioned, but even Steph Curry. But when you get a six foot six ish guy that weighs two hundred, I would say probably probably two thirty five. Right. Yep, yep. Of muscle, and he's as athletic as anyone in the NBA, and he's working on his shot. I mean, just he, he's the type of player that you would build in NBA Live, like like you know, like an like on a video game, right? You say, oh, what? all right, how could I build the perfect specimen, right? Well, you would either build like a seven-footer that can jack threes and do everything, or you would build a six-foot-six, six-foot-seven guy that can handle like a point guard and that can get anywhere he wants because he's a physical freak. I mean, he is like, a perfect specimen. When you get like all those points that you can put on your creative player, like it's like you took all those points and put it on Ant, and then yeah. you had no remaining points for your other five players, and that's actually who the Lakers started last night. <laughs> yeah, was all the was all the fifty out of hundred guys. But but no, I mean, you know, we we comp Ant to to John Morant, like you said, to Donovan Mitchell. Um, but the one thing he had, those guys are all uber athletes, but those guys just don't have a lot of size and a lot of meat. Um, the best comp physically is probably just a more athletic Luca, right? Like Luca is just a big boy. Um, and he uses that weight to his advantage. And that's, again, Thursday night's game, Lakers-Timberwolves was one of those rare games. You just can't take anything away from it. Um, but because it was the Lakers played no one of substance. But Ant was a man, and the Lakers were boys. And it was noticeable from the tip. Yes. The, the biggest thing, and I think he has been trying to prepare for this during the offseason, is now that he's got two years under his belt and then, you know, an appearance in the playoffs, you're – you've got to sort of hunker down for the 82-game long haul. And I think it kind of slapped him in the face. It it, it hits every rookie. Like, every rookie Mm -hmm. realizes Mm -hmm. about, you know, 30 or 40 games in, oh, my God, this is not college basketball or high school basketball anymore. And then your second year in the NBA, it's you're you're getting used to it. And he kind of got – there was a period, like, in February where he was kind of single-digit points for three Mm -hmm. or four games in a row, and he was just settling for a lot of just – bad three-point shots, and it was you could just tell that, okay, they're 50 games into the season, and he has never had to really do this before. I hope that his conditioning and work in the offseason is is building him toward doing this on a nightly basis. Because that's the thing, you know, we talk about the Kobe Bryants of the world and you know, the legendary stories about getting up at 2.30 in the morning to go hoist 2,000 shots in the gym, and he's already in a lather before any of his teammates or coaches get to the gym, right? 
Well, he's doing that so that he can score 50 or 60 points at his peak, but he's also doing that so that on the nights where maybe you're not feeling it, you're still going to score 25 points. You're still going to be able to get to the lane you know, and get the shots that you want to. So just being ready for that. There's a there's a difference between, oh, here's what Ant looks like when he's at his best versus here is the baseline he is going to set on a nightly basis for 82 games, just a relentless attack, right? Yeah, and I, I think I said this to you a couple of weeks ago, but he, I know they're professional athletes, and I know they make millions of dollars, but he kind of had every excuse in the book to just mail in this summer. He played more basketball games than he's ever played. He didn't play a lot of Georgia not a ton of AAU games, and then those first couple of years with COVID and stuff is just all over the map. Um, and then he has the whole Netflix you know, movie. He becomes a movie star. Two months later, he turns 21, um, probably had a beverage. Like He could have just done the bare minimum to come into training camp and just roll it over, um, and he didn't. And I think that's why he doesn't lack confidence, as anyone knows, but I think he does – start to find those Kobe-like tendencies where he's like, I want to not just be awesome, I want to be the best. And that comes with, like you said, the durability because the best availability is just, you know, or being available is the best skill sometimes. And uh, he, he, he looks like a kid who is going to be able to play, you know, 82 games if you need him. They'll probably mm-hmm. slow down the dial a little bit, mix in some rest days, but uh, that's what you want from what you call your franchise player. You're, you're the next the next face of the league type yeah. of guy. There is something s- still surreal about like what he could be on the verge of becoming. Yep. Just because I it's the, it's all of this Timberwolves PTSD that, you know, any fan of any age has suffered from. Like when I watch the Vikings and they draft a wide receiver, I think, "Oh yeah, this franchise has a history of incredible wide receivers going back to even like a Madre Shad and some of the dudes from back in the 70s and 80s. And then they had Anthony Carter and Chris Carter and Jake Reed into into Randy Moss. And, like, they've always had uh, Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs. So it's never shocking when the Vikings just pump out another Justin Jefferson to me. Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. you know, the um, the Twins have produced something like 24% of American League batting champions since their franchise was born no in the early 60s. Like Rod Carew had seven, and or Tony Oliva had like six or seven. Rod Carew had a bunch, and then Maurer had three and Puckett and stuff. So like when Luis Arise comes around, and oh, he looks like he might be a batting champion. Yeah, I've I've seen that roughly once every four years in in Twins history. But when the Wolves are spawning a guy that could become legitimately one of the three best players in the NBA at some point, it still like doesn't compute with me. Yep. Even though Kevin Garnett was that for you know, the better part of a 10-year run. It's just, it's, I guess it's hard for me to get over some Wolves PTSD to believe, yeah, okay, he is about to blow up and become one of the three guys in the NBA at some point. And I'm, it's not necessarily pushback on you, but I think you'll relate or get this. My, my, my take on that now as we're entering his junior year, like year three or whatever, um, is that you don't want to do that too much longer, right? Like, I, I'm with you. I've been a fan for all, what, 34 years now, um, and I have a lot of the scar tissue, but... The kid is special. He was special the day he walked in. His attitude, his athleticism, like you said, they've never drafted a a guard like this. Yeah, I mean, you know, they had Wiggins, who was really athletic, but clearly we already know that that's his ceiling is much higher than Wiggins. Um, and I just don't want people that like this team, that want to root for this team, to have regrets, right? That's like, oh, you know what? We can't trust Timberwolves, Scartish. We don't want to trust Ant until year eight. It's like, no— just jump on the jump on the bandwagon. Jump You're saying on the lo- love unconditionally. Exactly. And- you know, just like don't worry about X's. Just this is a new era. I know they've used that marketing campaign a thousand times and then <laughs> trotted out five Luke Ridenhours. But like this is a new era for this team. Um, we can get into it a little bit. But like they really believe they have veterans on this team that like had better opportunities you don't hear a lot of guys like Austin Rivers say, I chose this team because I think I can win the most games. Like, that's, nope, that's not something I remember hearing. So, Ant's going to lead this thing into the future. Um, but as we learned last night, and I want your opinion too, like, there's some other pretty big dudes on that team too um, that he's going to have behind him to kind of help carry that load. Well, let's let's talk about the Gobert debut here too. And again, you were, you were in the arena. I was just... Uh, you know, watching through a glass of red wine on my couch. <laughs> but this dude just looks like a praying mantis in the middle of the defensive alignment. And, you know, how much we've talked so much about Gobert. We did the deep dive with Dane a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And and um, I continue to say that 
his value is sometimes underappreciated because it's defensive stuff that doesn't often show up in the box score. Like, yeah, the rebounds show up and the block shots will show up. And there's other like advanced metrics that you can look at. But last night, there was a play. I can't remember exactly when it was, but it was in the first half. I think it was like midway through the first quarter. There was the exact play that I've been talking about, you've been talking about, that doesn't it doesn't really show up. It wasn't like anything in the box score. But there was a Lakers guard that was dribbling his way around a defender at the top of the key, dribbling into the paint. And stops short of the paint because Rudy Gobert exists in the paint. He stops short, pulls up from like 15 feet, and shoots an air ball. And then I think there was a little bit of a scrum and maybe a, a Lakers player. I think there might have been an offensive rebound that went awry. And there was a, but then the the putback was contested by Gobert, not blocked, but just, hey, I'm I exist in the paint as a seven foot four praying mantis. And then he winds up scooping up the defensive rebound and throwing an outlet pass after all of it. So in the box score, that whole sequence, he gets credit for a defensive rebound. But he made a fearful Lakers player pull up from 15 feet, shoot an air ball, not because he blocked the shot. (laughs) And then panic ensues on the offensive rebound because you can't just grab the rebound and go up for a dunk. He's going to swat it. And the guy misses, you know, just a classic example of what he brings just in the first quarter of the first preseason game. I just, I like to talk to you about football because I don't have a lot of other people to talk to. So it's kind of a weird analogy, but it does kind of remind me sometimes too of that hard-hitting linebacker that like you just don't want to run across the middle anymore. Um, the old that, school guys from like the you know like the eighties with the neck rolls, those right, guys. Exactly. Yeah. I I think that's funny because that play, like you said, there's really no way to monetize it. Um because I like I don't know if he got the rebound on that play, but it's just his presence. It's just his physical presence. Again, he made his debut yesterday for the Timberwolves. We saw him at at uh shoot around and it's like, oh my God, like I've hung out with Carl a lot in these settings and talked to him a lot, and he's a big dude. He is my height compared to Rudy Gobert, who is just all of, you know, seven foot two, even the KG days, like seven one at best. But he is just so big and so long. And the play you reference is is perfect. His his we're going to talk about this for the next six months. His defensive impact is going to be incredible. Um, I, I said, Dane and I were at the game. We're sitting there second quarter, like four minutes in. Dane just hits me on the shoulder. He's like, Holy hell, did you know that he has nine rebounds in like eight minutes? Yeah. He just gobbles up all the rebounds. And again, the last time you watch this team play meaningful basketball, they're getting crushed on the boards. So just that in and of itself was big. But another thing too, and Dane Moore and I talked about this last night, uh, it was the first time Rudy played for the Timberwolves, but also the first time he played with D'Angelo because that was his kind of preseason debut. Uh, Russell had like a tied for a team high, 13 points. None of the guys really played many minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, but 80% of Delo's points came in the paint. Four of his five makes were in the paint. Go find a box score last year where he had 80% of his points in the paint, and it was all just running pick and roll with Rudy. Yeah. So defensively, you put him in the lane and guys shoot air balls on floaters. Offensively, he just, I kind of referred to it as when Nas Reed sets a screen, it's like a detour. But when Rudy Gobert sets a screen, it's like road closed. Like you yeah. just have, you're just stuck. Like we're screwed, and now the guard is going to go attack the rim. Um, D'Lo, and this will be a common theme for me. I think D'Lo is the number one guy who's going to benefit from all this. Ant said it at media day when he found out about the trade. He called Carl eight times. Was like, "Yo, how awesome is this going to be for D'Lo?" Um, and I think you start to connect these pieces. It's maybe why D'Lo is. You know, according to everyone, the happiest he's been, not worried about a contract. I think that guy realizes I'm at my best when I have a rim runner. I have a guy who can not only help me on the defensive end, but is just a huge guy that can get to the rim, finish lob dunks. That's what he had with Jared Allen in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. arguably Delo's best year of his career. So it just, again, it was pretty watered down because the Lakers pulled five fans out of the stadium to play, but you really started to see. It's it's not it's rusty. They don't have the chemistry yet that you want. Like you know, like a wide receiver and quarterback got to get that chemistry. They don't have the lobs to Rudy yet, because as Ant said after the game, it was kind of cute. Like I've never thrown lobs to anyone. I'm usually the guy that dunks the ball. Yeah. Like who? So I, I'm not used to it yet. But once they get that timing down, it's going to be unstoppable. That, that's why that guy leads the league in in you know field goal percentage because he's just around the rim. Hands up, he touches the rim, and he just finishes everything. Yeah, and I think his his first bucket, I can't remember if it was on a lob or just like a putback, 
but it wasn't. It doesn't have to be perfect either. When no, you're throwing a no. lob to a guard to an Ant Edwards, it mm-hmm. kind of has to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Like he's got to grab it and throw it down. With Rudy, he just he he just kind of like it's like a you know. It's like a dad holding, going into a pool with like a holding his kid above the <laughs> yeah, head. Yeah. Like you're kind of wading yep. into the. His hands are like up in the air as he's moving down deeper into the paint, and and you can just kind of float the ball in there. And if I remember right, his first bucket, the ball kind of like rattled around his hands a little, like it wasn't a clean yep. dunk, and that's okay. Just you just have to kind of find a way to float it up there somewhere, and he will have it rattle around his hands, and it'll just go in. He had another bucket too, where. Someone was shooting free throws for the Wolves, so he was, like, you know, second in the free throw order boxes. And uh, the guy in you know, closest to the rim was, like, I don't know, 6'9", because the Lakers, again, we'll get – I'll stop it. But they were just playing a bunch of me's out there. And Rudy just used his – not only is Rudy tall and chiseled and really long legs, but he also has really long arms. And he just kind of used his arms to not go over the back, but just tip the ball to himself on a miss, get it, get two free points. And that was, like, a four-point possession. So, um it's just it, it is. It's really incredible to see him in person. Uh, if you are a basketball junkie, as much as you love watching the physicality of a running back like Ant Dunk, it's highly recommended to go to Target Center this year and watch a guy that you've never really seen don a Timberwolves jersey. Not someone like Rudy and what he does and his impact on both ends of the floor. Things you might, like you said, not see in a box score. Yeah. Uh, what else to, before we get to? Some weird, crazy Vegas stories. Uh, what, what else stood out to you just sort of being there this week? Um, well, Carl Anthony Towns, you know, he looks a little bit frail. It looks like he spent time in a hospital, quite yeah, frankly. Yep. Um, yeah, what, let's start with him, and then what else stood out to you? Yeah, I think, you know, Carl just, I, th- I really do think, just got unlucky with a weird another kind of illness. Um, did lose some weight, had some kind of scary things, had to go to the hospital. But by all accounts, he's he's fine. And I just think, again... Finch, that training staff, they know it's a grind of a season. They don't want to rush him in as badly as they need to get the reps with their their target centers. Um, I think you'll probably, I think they play again on Sunday against the Clippers. Probably not that game, but the next game, um, you'll probably see him debut. But yeah, he looks like he lost a lot of weight. But let's see, like that might be something that he needs because, like you said, he's going to be out on the perimeter a lot more. Um, All right, we gotta we gotta chop twenty pounds off your frame. <laughs> uh, we can either. Uh... We can either cut some calories or you can just get some weird illness and spend some time in the hospital. I mean, whatever who you among want. Us, right? Like if I had to lose twenty pounds, like, hey, do you want to work out really hard for six months or do you just want to like have a really bad weekend? So COVID was great for me. I lost about seven pounds. I've kept it off. Uh it's a great plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there we go. I just so he'll be fine. But they do need him in there because we got to talk to Rudy after the game and he his eyes kind of were glistening. It's just the idea of like he's never played with a guy like that either. He mentioned playing with like a Boris Diaw who could kind of stretch the floor, make plays, put the ball on the deck. Um, but he's never played with a guy like Carl. And Carl, despite, you know, he has played with centers, Taj Gibson, Gorgie Jang, yeah, Gorgie. Kevin Garnett. He hasn't played with a guy like Rudy. So the whole experiment really is those two guys, and we haven't get to, gotten to see it yet. But um, I think Carl's coming. But, you know, no, any other takeaways was just um, – I, you know, after the game again, obviously a jovial mood because they just ran the Lakers out of the gym. But um, talking again, I, this is going to be repeated, but talking to Austin Rivers is a goddamn delight. That guy is just, he gets it. He has had like two points, I think, in his first two preseason games. But we got to talk to Finch after the game, and we were asking him, I asked him a question about like how deep is this team and stuff. And I was talking about Bryn Forbes and Kyle Anderson and Torian Prince. And he just pivoted to how great Austin Rivers' defense was. So um, there's some good clips in Dane's podcast, but just Austin gets it. He gets, he loves playing for Finch. He knows he was sitting in the locker room. They had him next to Ant, and then they had Kyle Anderson on the other side of Ant. Like they're surrounding that kid with these veterans who have been high picks, who have had that kind of um, fame early on. And Austin Rivers said it multiple times. He looked at Ant who was shirtless and dancing. It was like, I'm here to help this guy get better. <laughs> um, and they, they really seemed to like each other. Aunt kept, or, uh, Austin Rivers kept referencing, like, we over me, um, which could be a mantra of this team. But just That I was a you, big flip. Wasn't that a big Flip Saunders It was, it was, it was like a flip coin. Remember that? It was like it's yeah. a flip on one side and we on the other. So um, mm-hmm. I just, again, I know it's all roses in October, but, you know, I'm also in Vegas and – we started the morning off with the Timberwolves. We ended the night with the Timberwolves. We spent the middle of the day um, going next door to Henderson, Nevada, to watch Victor Wimbayana, like, just talk about an alien, right? Like, 
there's a viral photo of Rudy Gobert, I just said, is the biggest human being I've ever seen. And Victor is three inches taller than Rudy. And just um, shoots threes like a... You know. Yeah, he's Kevin. He's like Kevin Durant and Tim Duncan and David Robinson and all your other favorite favorite prospects. And, and he, puts, he he was great. He, they had him on the broadcast last night between Mark Jackson and Jeff Van Gundy, and he was just like like a thirty year old. We we found our <laughs> somehow we found we got credentialed for that, and we got found our way into the the media room, and we got to Dane actually asked him a question, but he is so polished for like an eighteen year old guy. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't care about this, but his English was really good for being. A kid who this was, I think, one of his first times in the states, um, and like there was a question about your every camera wherever you go is on you. Like, how tough is that? And he talked about like you and I would be like, oh, you know, I just kind of try to block that out and log off, or whatever. He talked about like being in a room and just like closing his eyes but not sleeping and just focusing on what's important. It was like the most yoga mentality of all time. Like something my wife would say about Pilates. It's like, dude, this kid's eighteen years old. So yeah. I think he's really cool, but. It's funny. So the Wolves tank this season to get. What's well, uh... funny, right? Like <laughs> I have all these takes and optimism that like the Wolves could do. Like we were joking about like sixty games. Like we need a new hashtag for sixty because fifty is nifty might not be enough. Huh. And meanwhile, I went and watched this kid and like he's the number one reason why you should just send all of your best players. You to see the now what you what Utah is thinking, right? Utah's oh, like, sure. well, for sure. right, we kind of hit a wall there. Let's uh, let's just get rid of everyone. Is Malik Beasley still on that roster? By the way. Oh, yeah, he's going to lead the team in shots by a mile. That dude is definitely scoring 21 hollow points every Malik single night. Malik Beasley is the only one who's happy to be living in Salt Lake City. He is just <laughs> stoked to shoot 12 threes a game. But, no, it was cool. Again, it was kind of the Tour de France, as I called it, um, seeing Rudy, seeing Victor. Um, they have a tight relationship. And as nerdy as it sounds, it was kind of an eye-opening experience. We don't know anything about Rudy Gobert. We just we don't. like. We saw the whole COVID mic situation we kind of scoffed at that, but other than that, we—he's not a—he's not doesn't have his own shoe. He's not in commercials, um, but he really opened up about how much he is kind of mentoring Victor, how much it means to France to have those two guys kind of representing the country. Because ever since Tony Parker retired, they really didn't have someone. Um, and then we also got to talk to like the GM and the coach of this French team, and they talked about how Rudy's impact has made thousands of kids like go out for basketball hmm. so it was just again that's kind of sappy um but i haven't slept since wednesday so just forgive me but no i just i think rudy <laughs> it was it was the first time we got to see like oh you know what rudy really cares about this kid that they're saying is the next lebron um and that's probably gonna be he's like the oldest guy on the team like he's gonna be one of the guys that also not just austin sitting next to ant in the locker room but Rudy is going to have a big part in can Ant actually take that step to superstardom. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's cool that, that that team really likes each other right now. And even when it gets bad, man, they lose four in a row. You and I are fuming on Twitter. Uh, I think they have the right personnel from Finch all the way down to kind of stop the bleeding and not let it be an old Timberwolf situation where it turns three losses into 62. Yeah. Hey, what's um, Pat Bev was on the on the sidelines for this game, and he I saw some some former Timberwolves teammates go up to him before the ball was tipped and and show some love. Any uh, was everything okay with Pat Bev? He took a little took a little shot at the at the team on Twitter there a few days uh, ago last week, whatever that was. Pat was up to uh, I think there was probably thirteen thousand people in T-Mobile last night. He was the loudest person. He was not in a jersey. He was just in street clothes. Um, yeah, right before the tip, he basically just Pat was everywhere on the court. By the way, he he had more ground coverage than any ref. He was just every time out, he was just <laughs> over there. He was over here. Um, but yeah, he he uh, embraced Ant right before the game. Ant said after the game that that's his brother. They still talk every day. Apparently, they were going out last night because um, it was Ant's first time in Vegas as a 21 year old. I like it. So he can still. This is great, actually. So the Wolves can leverage Pat Bev for just like a better asset in Rudy Gobert, but then they still get the the built-in mentorship relationship helping Anthony Edwards. It's, for, for uh, the, it's great. The, the, the Wolves did come out in that preseason game, if you watched it, like a little flat. So the Lakers were in it for about 12 minutes, and mm-hmm. Pat was the entire time off the bench yelling instructional things to his new teammates while somehow – simultaneously holding four different conversations with his old ones. Yeah. Like, he, him and Ant were just talking during, like, Ant's defending a screen and roll. Um, <laughs> he, he is truly the best. Um, he will be missed. But also, too, I just think, again, we got, you know, talking to Torian Prince, talking to some of those guys, I think they have enough of the right mentality to fill that void. And something I was worried about, 
and we did leadership power rankings. Um, I think they have plenty of guys that can fill Pat's voice and Pat's production. Um, so he will be missed, but when they play for real, though, I think that guy's going to be a dog. Like that's going to be must see TV when Pat actually has his jersey on. Yes, I, uh, I he'll probably try and my guess is he'll try and stir something with Cat because yep. I think yep. not that they like hate each other or anything. I just think I think Cat becomes kind of an easy target if you think you can get under someone's skin. You know, Jimmy Butler has tried to do that in some of these matchups since he was traded to. So that that's one thing I would watch is Pat Bev trying to get Cat into like some dumb foul trouble or to get off his game mentally or something. And, and if Rudy catches a rebound and doesn't do, like, big guys keep the ball high and brings it down low, oh, yeah. Pat, Pat will absolutely a dive. slash at him and then immediately put his hand in the air to call for the foul. Or like, that, like, yeah. That was me. Like, he'll he'll literally stab <laughs> Rudy and then be like, hey, that was me. Like, That's we know, me. Pat, the, the knife's in your hand. So when, when they get to play, I think you're going to see him be at his. Because, again, I he said it on Twitter that one time. Like, I think he probably thinks, wow, they got rid of me and they all think they got this better defensive player, um, which – they did, but I think he's going to have a chip on his shoulder because, as Finch said, that guy always has a chip on his shoulder. That's just what he does. So Lakers-Wolves, when it counts, is going to be prime time. I would say just a couple other things, too. I mean, nothing too special from Jaden McDaniels or from Jalen Noel, but they both just they, – they, they just I love what those guys add to this team. Um, God, Jaden McDaniels looks even bigger, too. He just mm-hmm. looks like he's filled out a little bit, not to the level of Ant. And then Jalen Noel, I just the confidence that guy plays with just to get buckets from wherever he wants to. I just Nothing great from those guys last night, but just continued, uh, continued intrigue, I guess, watching those two. Jalen Noel might be the most confident player in the league. Like, every time he subs in, I just imagine his agent is just like, like you were last night, smoking a cigar, drinking wine, just like, oh, hell yeah, I'm about to get paid. <laughs> Um, yeah, Jaden had three fouls in like the first four or five minutes. So that's like the old bad Jaden. Um, but he also had this move. I, I tweeted it out. It was like left, kind of left side, goes baseline, kind of does a crossover dribble, spins on Juan Toscano Anderson, and then just puts the entire Lakers organization in the rim. Um, that's something you haven't seen Jaden do. You haven't, I always joke, you don't see him dribble. Um, he put the ball in the deck last night. So you had some bad Jaden, but you had some of the, oh my God, like, if we can give this guy six or seven extra possessions and just let him kind of do his thing, um, they're just, man, they're just so deep. They're so long. Like, again, Rudy's long, Jaden's long, D'Lo's long, and the size of a linebacker. So um, just a just a Monstars-like starting lineup that they have now, and uh, all they need to kind of do is figure out the chemistry and try to make it gel. Yeah. So, man, positive vibes off of... Very and some of it's just like we haven't seen this team play since the, the buzzkill end to that playoff series. Yeah, that's, but that's it too. A lot of good stuff. Uh, any other Wolves-related anecdotes from you here? I want I do want to tell you at least one Vegas story while we're on the Vegas topic. No, I uh, I had another kind of quick tangent for you, so maybe we can go to the Vegas no. scene. But no, I, I just think um they, they head to L.A. now for kind of like a borderline minicamp. They're in L.A. for a couple of days. Um, Again, they'll get Carl back soon, but... I think um, going back to like our 50 is nifty because we have coined that. We have trademarked that. That is ours. Um, being in Vegas yesterday, I spent half the day seeing how talented. This is the deepest team they've ever had. This is the most talented team the Timberwolves have ever had. Um, will they be the most successful? I don't know. But I also then spent the rest of the day watching this alien from France. And to sum it all up before we get into your Vegas story, I, uh, I took all my blackjack winnings last night, Phil. It was about 2.50 in the morning, and I just powerbombed it on over 48.5 wins. Wow. Because not only is this team really good, the league is going to be historically bad come February. They're going to be, like, Shea Gilders Alexander is going to be put in prison. Um, anyone who's remotely good on a team below 500 is going to be arrested. Like, these teams are going to tank so hard, and the Wolves are just going to gobble up these free wins because they're deep and they're talented. So they're going to win 50. We're going to have a party. Um, and yeah, I, all my winnings were just put on this piece of paper that's on my fridge now. I love it. Um, yeah, I think it would take multiple big injuries for this team to not be flirting with 50, right? Because you know, yeah, they looked awesome last night and their best player, cause he is their best player was in street clothes and they yeah. looked dominant. In the How would you half. actually on the, on the, cause I agree with you. I think this is the, the best team one through 15 that they're going to put on the floor. The second best team was probably the 2003, 2004, just Again, we're not saying, like, like that team probably would have won the title if Sam Cassell doesn't get hurt. They probably right, beat right, the Lakers. Right. 
So it all has to gel together. I think if you were to take those rosters as they were with those players at their ages and this roster and then rank all the players, I still think 27-year-old Kevin Garnett would be the best player of both yep. rosters. Yep. But then you probably go like Carl Clint. Anthony Towns, Rudy Gobert, the version of Anthony Edwards we think is going to exist this year. Then I'd probably go Sam Cassell mm-hmm. into D'Angelo Russell into Latrell Sprewell. Yep. And then and then and then it's like, and this is for hardcore nerds like us, but it's it's that back end of the guys like who is on, who is on par with Jalen Noel on that 03-04 roster, right? Like yeah, Troy Hudson's kind of the like scoring punch off the bench, but Jalen Noel is a just a bigger, more versatile player, right? And, Troy Hudson and, was pulling up from seventeen feet every time. Yeah, so. exactly. No, and again, the 03-04 team is is the goat for this franchise. That's they did it. I, I think you can say that this current squad is the deepest, most talented, and not diminish what the 0304 team did. But also, too, if they do go 41 and 41, then in March, April, May, we can talk about how big of a disappointment that was. But as of now, on my birthday, this is the most talent that team's ever had, 1 through 15. Amen. Uh, all right, what's what's the tangent? You were going to go on a tangent. Well, no, one, I'll keep it really quick. No, did, you see, did you see the Draymond Green thing? Yeah. The video, TMZ, by the way. What, Wonder what which was... which intern did they pay ten thousand dollars <laughs> to to get that video? What What was your take on it, just like in general? Uh, well, I thought Jordan Poole probably could have done a better job, kind of guarding <laughs> the left side of his face when Draymond is coming at him with that. And by the way, Draymond, when you see that video, full right arm extended. I mean, what a reach on that guy! If he ever wanted to enter into boxing here to maximize, uh, you know, like the back half of his thirties. Right. <laughs> I think he would have a better chance than Le'Veon Bell in some of these uh, boxing oh matches. God, so just great started. form and extension. If you are going to knock out one of your teammates or coworkers, um, man, that was a, he got his money's worth on that shot. And, that, and that's the point. I I will try to always be optimistic and fun, but I'm haven't slept. I'm a little grouchy. Like if I see one more person, tell me. I've had some friends text me that it, oh my god, he should be he should be cut. He should be suspended for the year. If I did that in my job, listen, man, Draymond Green doesn't work at Cargill. He doesn't have a cubicle. At if I did that at my job is one of my biggest trigger comments. Yeah, I this hate isn't, this it isn't so much. your job. There are very few dude, things, but it's like dude, Kevin Garnett did this to Wally Zerbiak and Rick Rickert in practices right, back in the day. And everyone was like, oh, KG punched out Rick Rickert. That's crazy. Ah, when's the next game? <laughs> you, you, I mean, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like you used to, you know, cover a team, be on the beat, be all the time. Like, do you know how many HR violations? Or I, I see on a daily basis covering a team, and not like anything outlandish, but I don't know. There's lots of stories all over the league, past and present, about you know team employees that have to make sure that like Phil's wife is in section 111, but Phil's girlfriend <laughs> is in section 132. Yeah. Like it's a big problem know, if, for me, if, especially too. Right? If, yeah. if Declan was doing that, like yeah, he'd be fired, but the team employee probably gets a raise. <laughs> so it's not apples and oranges. Like it's just it's not. So to hear these people be like, oh, he's got a. If I did, if I punched my cube buddy, it's like, yeah, well, you're not. Draymond doesn't work in a cube. He's a Hall of Famer. So, with that said, he got a good chunk of Jordan Poole, and he looked like a guy that had months of that punch came from like April. It was like I am so tired of you. So, the NBA is so back. Like that's going to be a domino that we'll probably at some point talk about down the road because I don't know, man. You punch me that hard, and it goes public. We're probably not recording next week. Yeah. <laughs> Although Draymond will be on the volume.com yeah. <laughs> YouTube channel. Come check out New my media. podcast. Boy, uh, our downloads are down a little the last month and a half. What if I punch a teammate and make some headlines? Let's see what happens. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. Yeah, he'll, he'll spin this into some way where it's like Jordan Poole is like LeBron's not the GOAT. And Draymond's like, no, he is the GOAT. And he punched him in the face because yeah. he's so big on LeBron. But uh, that was my quick tangent. Stop. Actually, well, speaking of fights, so, so I... We were we were texting last night just our our love for for Vegas in small mm-hmm. doses mm-hmm. and I especially love the old town like free I've never stayed down in the old downtown but I love just at least once or twice on a trip going down mm-hmm. there hogs and heifers the Super the underrated. random sort of dive bar that's like a coyote ugly where they like dance on the bar and stuff um, so I used to be uh, very much in the in the poker world and mm-hmm. was down there. I was down there. We were launching at the time uh, the the Minnesota State Poker Tour, and oh, okay. we had some like friends and connections down there that said, "Hey, you know, 
you guys are enough in the poker industry now. Why don't you come to some of these fun parties like the Doyle Brunson party and and oh uh, all this like cool behind the scenes <laughs> stuff as a poker geek, just like once Absolutely. in a lifetime stuff. And so we were uh, kind of like bouncing, but there was there was there was a party or something or a gathering at Mandalay Bay. I want to say up. I can't. Remember, what's it called? The reservation room or something? It's oh, like yep, an overlook yep. of the the strip. Yep. And so we're just like you know stars in our eyes. All right, let's go. We're gonna <laughs> put on a couple nice shirts, whatever. And we're gonna me and two buddies, and we're gonna go hobnob with people that we have no business hobnobbing with. And so we're in the. Uh, little four elevator corridor of the of the, I think it was up like whatever it's called but up like 25th floor or something and as we're kind of waiting in line because there's a there's a one group of people getting in the elevators and there's like a line and we're kind of in the line back here and uh there was a boxing match at Mandalay Bay that night and whatever it was had gotten over with I think this is like 11 o'clock or midnight and so all kinds of people start spilling out and we're just kind of observing, like, oh, this is a zoo, man. Look at all these people coming out of this boxing match. And all of a sudden, over there's a gift shop across the way from the elevator corridor. And two groups of people that look to be, like, from the entourages of the boxers mm-hmm. start kind of chirping at each other, like, no, bleep you, no, bleep you. And we're like, oh, man, these guys are, like, about to go at it. This is crazy. All of a sudden, within, like, th- you know, 30 seconds, and we're we're, like, at this point, we're like waiting for the elevator to come back down, but we're kind of trapped in this corridor. <laughs> oh no! And we're kind of we're kind of like hitting the up by like, come on, come on, come on. They start grabbing pint glasses, shot glasses, and anything they can from the gift shop, and they're just like, they're like ready to kill each other. They're throwing stuff, and and glass is breaking off the walls. We are we are ducking down like in the corner by the elevators as glass is pinging oh, off so scary the brick walls and stuff and people are running and screaming and you know then there's fists being thrown just an all out brawl leaking out of this fight and so we finally like you know elevator door opens and we kind of i think we might have like ran down the hallway at first to get away from the corridor and then finally came back later i can't remember like what the scenario was but later on that night as we were uh taking a cab to wherever our next destination was, every black SUV in Las Vegas was being pulled over by police officers. And we flip on the news the next day and said there was a shooting outside Mandalay Bay. <laughs> so, oh, my God. We were like, dude, are these guys going to – do they have guns? What's going to happen right now? And thankfully, we that's, uh, we didn't get that's caught a good too much. That, that's funny because I had a story too, but you just made me think of – I went to a – my uncle brought me like a Brock Lesnar-Randy Couture fight oh, at MGM. Yes. I don't know if I was 20 yet because – or 21, because I was drinking, but I don't know if I should have been. But it's not nearly as cool as that. But I just remember walking out, and, like, anyone who wasn't, like, at that time, we're 15 years ago or whatever, so it wasn't as much celebrity, like, private entrances and stuff. All I know is is I left that that night, and Brock beat Randy Couture, who was, I think, um, I think it was Randy Couture. It was a Vegas local fighter who was, like, a celebrity. So Brock was kind of getting into his bad boy phase. And uh, I just remember Ryan Howard of the Philadelphia Phillies, back in really the heyday of steroids, by the way, walked out of the same exit as I did, and he is just all three, like all muscle up top, shirtless with a, a woman on each of his shoulders. I don't even understand like the physics of it, but it was just like, oh my God, that's Ryan Howard, and he just has these two women sitting on his shoulders, and he's walking out, and he has <laughs> no shirt on, and these <laughs> jeans that cost more than the tickets to get in, and... uh that was what, yeah. like, so this is like 2008, because I looked it up. It was Randy Couture in 2008, and this would have been Ryan Howard's heyday, man. Yes, right? okay, so that was it. It was Randy Couture, and he was, a, he was, I think, from Las Vegas on the end of his kind of decline, but um, yeah. people were mad. I'm surprised people weren't throwing glasses at that, too. I mean, again, Vegas is, that's a, that's a better story than the one time I was on the strip, and I saw these people huddled around, and they're on, like, a cardboard box, and they had a cotton ball and three of the little cups that you essentially pour NyQuil into, but they were, like, blacked out. Um, and basically, this guy was just, like, putting the ball under one of the cups, and then someone would be like, it's, it's cup two. And they put $100 down, and the guy would pull it up, and there was there was the ball, and he would give them their 100 back and $100. So I was like, holy shit, I just got to Vegas. I'm, like, 21. I'm going to make some easy money quick, and then I'll go gamble. And the juices are flowing. Long story short, all 12 people in that huddle were working together. Yes. And I just got fleeced. Multiple times I'd point at cup three and I was like, there's that cotton ball. I'm going to make 200 bucks. And he'd pull it up and I was just like, 
I still have it imprinted in my brain of when oh, he yeah. lifted the cup up. I was like, "There's no cotton ball." There. I was like, "Oh no!" And I unless didn't you're realize... in an actual casino, like any sort of if you're yep. if you're like yep. on the streets trying to play games and stuff, you're probably probably getting hustled. Yeah, don't don't yes. gamble on the strip. Literally, like maybe go into one of the buildings <laughs> where it's sanctioned. Even don't if it's know. one of the older ones, even if it's like Binions or something. Yeah. Dude, I got I got hustled one time oh, at, a, at a at a poker game. There's nothing worse. It makes you feel like such a, just an absolute idiot. But go on. So you you and I have both spent time in our lives at a lot of poker tables and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this is back in I think 2009, and one of my good friends was playing in a World Series of Poker event, and uh, was a little bit more than a, than old Macadac wanted to put down on a poker <laughs> tournament. And so I decided to go play in cash games. Just at the I think it was at the Rio is where the World Series was at the time. And so my buddy's playing in his tournament. I'm gonna go play few hours of cash games you know late at night here and so i'm going to try and explain this because you don't have to know poker to understand what happened at this table so i will mm-hmm. explain this for the non-poker audience and for the poker audience which is probably like five percent of people that <laughs> consume this show so a cash game is you just kind of sit down like this was a, a one two dollar no limit game where you buy in for like two hundred dollars and then you know there's a couple thousand dollars on the table because there's people who have built up stacks mm-hmm. and there's so it's like for a, at the time, I was like probably 20, I don't know, 23 years old. And playing that level with thousands of dollars on the table was like, you know, it's pretty good money Big for, yeah. for old Macadac back in the day. And he's playing in Vegas at the casino where the World Series is at. So, you know, the, the tension is flowing. I was a pretty good player. So I kind of knew what I was doing. But uh, we're sitting there. And these two guys show up at the table. This one guy was wearing, like, white linen pants and had the shirt unbuttoned and stuff. And this is probably, like, 1 o'clock in the morning. And they are drunk. Just, like, surprise, just gregarious and sitting down. And some of it was charming, but then they were just, like, they were rude to the dealer and rude to to the waitresses and the servers and stuff. Just being belligerent, right? They would... You know, so a one-two no limit table means that the blinds are, uh, I believe, one dollar, two dollar, mm-hmm. and so the opening raise would usually be like between five and maybe ten dollars. For someone who wants to like open raise, they put like ten dollars or eight dollars or something. These guys are open raising for like fifty dollars, a hundred dollars, blind and not like not looking at their cards and stuff, and just like ah, just you know, slinging money around. So the the rest of the table is kind of like the ones that are sort of sober, and I was stone sober we're kind of waiting for your chance right you're just waiting for one of these idiots to like dump 50 bucks in and now you've got pocket aces or something but you can't just like you got to play around a little bit you got to you know Mm -hmm. you got to engage with them so that it's you're not just like hunting for their money so anyways i'm trying to play the game a little bit here and you know toss a little money in here and there uh so i'm not just playing premium hands and anyways long story longer uh i flop a set so for the non-initiated, I have I have a pair of like fours in my hand, and the board comes out like you know uh, four. So now I have three fours, but it's kind of hidden because I've got two in my hand, like four, ten, queen, or whatever, right? I don't remember what the exact board was. I do remember there were two clubs on the board, which comes <laughs> into play here. And so this guy, we get into a hand together. There's like three or four people on the flop, and uh, there's a bunch of money in this pot now. And dr- one of the drunk guys is just like, all right, I'm gonna put some money in. And then the turn hits, and it was a third club. And now it's just me and this guy. It was a third club, but, like, this dude's playing every hand. He's putting, like, a 100 bucks into every possible hand, right? And so uh, I check. He bets. I move all in. I, I have now checked. It was probably not the optimal play, but, like, there was enough money in the pot at this point where I just – and there, now there's three clubs on the board. So I check-raise him. He bets a ton of money, and I move all in over the top. So I now, in my mind – I have now trapped the drunk player. Mm-hmm. I have a made hand. He's been playing every hand. He just got his hand caught in the cookie jar. He's belligerent. He's drunk. He instantly calls me, puts down his ace-high flush, and snaps out of his drunkenness. Yes! Yes! Boom! Like, like he, he's, like, reacting as if he had spent the last hour drunkenly setting up this now, like, Multi, there's probably there's probably like eight hundred dollars in the middle of the table at this point, and uh, and I'm just sitting there like, oh my god, like this dude pretended to be drunk to get into an eight hundred dollar hand at some point so that he could win it. And the purpose of this story on Flagrant Howls, a Timberwolves lifestyle podcast, 
is that is exactly how Tim Connolly negotiated the Rudy Gobert trade with yes. Danny Ainge. He pretended to be drunk, <laughs> put all his chips in the middle, and then as soon as Danny Ainge said deal, he he snapped out of it and he said, I got this seven foot two center and watch us go win 50 games. But here is where <laughs> karma comes into play, my friend. <laughs> oh, no. The river pairs the board for a full house for me, oh. beating his with all the money in. The river oh, pairs the board for a full coming. house. Full house beating the flush. And this guy wanted to murder me. He was literally like, he spent the night, and I would have just left the table, but it's not etiquette, and you can get your ass kicked doing that, and you win a big pot. winning and checking it, yeah. I sat there for 20 more minutes, folded every single hand, while he spent 20 minutes berating me for like, you're so lucky, dude, so lucky. And I'm like, bro, you pretend, bro, you're playing every hand. You pretended you were drunk. There's no way you have a flush in that situation. Um, And I I was nervous that he would like follow me to, you know, the parking lot or my my room or something. That's it was insane. like, dude, my heart was beating out of my That's neck a thousand insane. miles an hour. <laughs> it, it, I shouldn't have interrupted with that analogy. No, you're good. Now, you're it's good. Like, now it's like Danny Ainge is going to river and win Victor Wimbayana <laughs> yep. in the lottery. But, uh, and but then, no, and then the Jazz win the title in two years and the Wolves are screwed. Yeah. And then Tim Connolly's just sitting at the table just like, oh, shit. Um, no, that's a – no. So in summary, Las Vegas is probably a home away from home for Phil and I. But it is. It, it is really cool. And on a, on a basketball perspective – um, with summer league, like I said, you and I are for sure going next year. Um, it's just it's becoming more and more kind of the NBA spring break. I mean, just the NBA hub. It's not New York. It's not mm-hmm. LA. It's just more and more of these guys are there. LeBron's at everything. Um, it's it's really cool, and it's a really cool way if you're a fan to get access to players, to autographs, to things that you really wouldn't normally get during a regular season or you know on the road. So, um, Viva Las Vegas! Yes. Let's. Uh, we're, we're we're working on a couple of things. We definitely have to work on a Wolves fan gathering in Vegas next year. Yes. And then uh, you and I, being Pacific Northwesterners, the Wolves play back to back games in Portland, like the yep. second weekend December in December, tenth so. and the twelfth, I think. So we're definitely going to set something up for that. So for anyone that's either like traveling west from Minnesota or anyone that's already west, and you're going to be at one or both of those games, definitely send us a message on Twitter so we can put mm-hmm. together a group and get some stuff going on. Yeah, it's a, so. it's a Saturday Monday game, so like. Again, good time out here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, I'm not getting paid by the marketing department or anything, but good time to come out and watch the Timberwolves play a couple games, and then on Sunday we can all go have brunch and watch the Vikings. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I do think, you know, in conclusion, uh, that this team is going to be so much fun. Um, I'm glad we're doing this pod. I know we're going to be picking it up even more. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to be it's going to be a really – if you like basketball and you like Minnesota sports, this is the year to jump on the bandwagon and to be all in. Yes. In a poker and, reference. Yes, exactly. To bring it all full circle. <laughs> and, uh, and a cheap plug for Kyle, too. He, you can also find him every week in the episode dropped earlier this morning as we record this on a Friday with Dane Moore on the Dane Moore NBA podcast. So um, you'll get plenty of, of Kyle's takes. And, yeah, if you guys are, are consuming us on the Score North YouTube channel, if you guys could click the subscribe button, and the like button helps spread the word about this Wolves community and uh, Minnesota sports fan community that we are building. We're almost to 50,000 combined subs between oh, yeah. the Score North and Purple Daily channels. So thanks to all of you for helping us grow this thing. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back at you next week for another episode of your favorite Timberwolves lifestyle podcast where we just want the Timberwolves to win 50 games. 50 is nifty. Flagrant house.